Hello and welcome to this, the 16th episode in the series about the Devon folk song collector, the Reverend Sabine Baring Gould, the parson and squire of Lutrenchard Manor, West Devon. I will now continue the story of Sabine's wish to be ordained as he leaves Hurst Pierpoint School in Sussex and travels up to Yorkshire to meet with Robert Biggersteth, the Evangelical Bishop of Ripon. Sabine was ordained in the Bishop's Palace on Whit Sunday, the 15th of May, 1864. He wrote of the occasion in his autobiography, Further Reminiscences, 1864-94. to In it he says, I was ordained by the Bishop of Ripon upon Whit Sunday, 1864, a memorable day in my life. And the following day I went to Horbury to enter on my curacy. The threat from his father Edward that if he was ordained he would lose the right to his inheritance had not deterred Sabine in his desire to join the church one bit. He had achieved what he had desired for many years. The next day, with Monday, he boarded a train from Ripham to Horbury as its new curate. As in podcast 15, I will cherry-pick some passages from the biography of Sabine by his grandson, Bickford H.C. Dickinson, describing Sabine's arrival at Horbury and the duties of his work in the parish to be set by him by its vicar, the Reverend John Sharp. Reverend Sharp had the good sense to guide, without rule, his unusual 30-year-old curate. He realised that his assistant was an experienced schoolmaster, used to taking responsibilities, a man capable of working alone, and one best suited to do so. Almost at once he gave Sabine a section of the parish to look after, by himself and never interfered with the work there in any way. The result very soon proved Sharp's wisdom. The section of the parish in which Sabine was entrusted with was the task of developing a mission. It was known as Horbury Brig. In some ways it resembled the pioneering towns of America, more than any place we could find in England. The population consisted of canal boatmen, colliers and mill workers who fought, gambled and drank to excess. Most were illiterate and few, if any, took the slightest interest in religion. Among them strode the tall, frock-coated clergyman, and somehow, almost from the first, he began to win their respect and affection. Sabine found that his previous experience as a teacher and a teller of stories proved to be a tremendous asset in his new task. Renting a small cottage, he opened the ground floor as a night school. The bedroom above became the chapel. The chimney piece there became the altar. Every Sunday evening, Sabine held services and the congregation soon filled both the chapel and the schoolroom downstairs. The young people loved the school and their teacher. When lessons were ended, he was always expected by them to tell a story before class was dismissed. So successful was the mission that it soon filled almost all of Sabine's time and his connection with the parish church grew steadily less. It was not long before the cottage became far too small and it had to be replaced 
by a larger building. Within two years of Sabine's arrival at Horbury Brig, a new stone-built school chapel had been opened. Two of his most famous hymns were written early in his time at Horbury, On the Resurrection Morning and Onward Christian Soldiers. Both these hymns attained worldwide and lasting fame, and like so much else that he wrote, both created plenty of controversy. Onward Christian Soldiers was probably written in 1864, and first sung at a children's Whit Sunday procession at Horbury Brig in 1865. Sabine would stay at Skewrit at Horbury Brig for two and a half years before in the winter of 1867 moving on to another parish as its vicar and a new way of life. More about this move and the great event that's due to come in Sabine's life in the next podcast. There is much more to tell about Sabine's time at Horbury Brig and more information in it can be found in Keith Lister's biography of Sabine titled Half My Life which is available on the internet. Also in the internet, see Horbury History Organisation forward slash Sabine Bearing Gold, an excellent read about Sabine's time there. Now time for a song. Uh, this song is from my CD and it has the title Bowl Gambling Boy. Sabine got it from the singing of Robert Hard of South Brent, Devon, but with the title The Hearty Good Fellow, with almost identical words to my song. Sabine wrote in Songs of the West that Frank Kidson, the collector from Yorkshire, had found a traditional version there, and also Cecil Sharp one in Somerset. Once more we have a traditional song mixed with those from the broadside printers. And this is Bowl Gambling Boy. I saddle me horse and away I ride Till I came to an alehouse by the roadside Called for a mug of beer frothing and brown And then by the fireside I sat myself down Singing whack fall the dee, whack fall the dee And in me pocket I'd one penny well, I seen two gentlemen playing at dice They took me to be as simple as pie With me cane and silk handkerchief showing so bold They thought me pockets were lined with gold Singing whack for the D, whack for the D And in me pocket I'd one penny they said, come, me bold fella, would you like to play? Indeed, gentlemen, what's the stakes that you lay? Oh, one said a guinea, but I said five pound. The credit was taken, no money lay down. Singing whack fall the D, whack fall the D, and in me pocket I'd one penny. Well, I picked up the dice and I threw em a main. Twas my good fortune that evening to gain. If they had a one, well, they would have cursed. When all I threw in was me empty old purse. Singing whack for the D, a whack for the D. And in me pocket that one 
than me. Well, I stayed there all night and I left there next day. Since I to myself, I'll be jogging away. I asked the landlady, what was me bill? Oh, no, but a kiss of your lips, if you will. Singing whack for the D, whack for the D. And in me pocket, I'd five pounds free. This song, I feel, has an apt title and it fits in with the story of Sabine having very little money while working for no pay in Pimlico, London and no financial help there from his father in his time of need, as mentioned in Pod 15. To then, some years later, against his father's wishes, becoming ordained and having the living as the curate at Horbury. This was Sabine's gamble that now being ordained, he would lose the inheritance due to him as the first-born son of the manor and estate of Lou Trenchard in West Devon on his father's death. Would his gamble have a lucky streak? Again, in further reminiscences, he writes that while he was in Yorkshire, he collected several folk songs, carols and tales. What happened to these, I do not know, as I have never found them in my research of his songs. But... I do have an interesting twist in this tale. Last year, I found a rather delightful song with the title The Blue Kerchief. It is number 40 in Sabine's songbook, Songs of the West. In the notes to the song, Sabine records that the words and melody are from John Woodridge of the village of Thrushelton, Devon. He was locally known as Ginger Jack. The words have appeared with slight variations on broadsides, while learning the song, the lyrics reminded me of Sabine in his writings, in which he had referred to the mill girls of Horbury going to work in the mornings with the clatter of their clogs on the cobbles of the road and wearing coloured handkerchiefs tied around their heads. Then by coincidence, I found the following passage in further reminiscences with a reference to the Devon singer Ginger Jack and the song. Sabine wrote the following... I picked up a pretty ballad from an itinerant blacksmith who went by the name of Ginger Jack. Although a Devonshire man, he had wandered over a large part of Great Britain and Wales and had collected a wondrous store of ballads with their tunes. I presumed that the following was gathered in Yorkshire, but I do not know, as Ginger Jack was not able to recall where he did actually learn it. Sabine gives five verses to the song in further reminiscences but then we find six in Songs of the West. The version I am learning from Gordon Hitchcock's book of songs from Sabine's collection, which Gordon titled Folk Songs of the West Country, has nine verses, and he admits there is the likelihood of broadside influence with the additional verses. So perhaps I have found one of Sabine's songs from his collecting days in Yorkshire. Once I have learnt the song, I will sing it and include it in a future podcast. Talking of podcasts, I am staggered to find that the data we receive from Buzzsprout, that's the platform that John Tidball, the series producer, uses for them to be downloaded. It shows that 
downloads are taking place on four continents and in 14 countries. You might say that John and I have spread the word of Sabine's song collecting a lot further than we ever thought possible. So wherever you are and whoever you are, thank you for your interest in our Parson and the Songmen podcast series. And a bit closer to home, here in Devon last Sunday, the 28th of January 2024, was Sabine's day of birth. And by coincidence, it was my first concert in the celebration of the centenary year of Sabine's death. And it was booked as a Sunday afternoon concert at the church in the village of Denbury, near Newton Abbott, Devon. It's there I told the story of how Sabine had started his collecting and how it resulted from an after-dinner discussion one evening at the suggestion of the host of the party, Daniel Radford, that Sabine was the man for the job of collecting the old folk songs that they at the party had struggled to remember. I sang songs from the collection and played some tunes. While promoting the concert on Facebook, I had written that we would raise the roof of the church by singing some of Devon's chorus songs. Well, we did with a rendition of Whittacombe Fair and other Devon chorus songs, then a cup of tea and a slice of lemon drizzle cake as an interval treat. There are more concerts in Devon booked well into this centenary year of his death for me to tell the stories of Sabine Song Collecting, sing some of the songs and play a few tunes on the fiddle and mandolin. I can't guarantee any drizzle cake might be at the gigs though. This has been the 16th podcast in this series. It was produced by John Tidball. I am Mike Bosworth. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Till next time, bye-bye. <laughs>